0: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. If you haven't had the opportunity yet to sign up for my newsletter, head on over to my website, DrAmyRobbins.com. You can sign up for my newsletter there, which is always chock full of fun little pieces that you can take and apply to your everyday life. And also if you haven't yet subscribed to my podcast, sub- hit subscribe. Uh, you can also follow me on social media, on Instagram at DrAmyRobbins. So today I am super excited to speak with David Berner. David is a memoirist, essayist, fiction writer, and journalist. His memoirs reflect on our collective relationships and how these experiences link us to the world we share. David's stories are about fathers and sons, the redemptive power of road trips, travel, music, and the sage-like connections we share with pets. David was born in Pittsburgh and now lives in the Chicago area. Along with his writing credentials, David has a distinguished career as a broadcast journalist reporting for the CBS Radio Network, WBBM Radio Chicago, and public radio outlets across America. Welcome, David. A few things to talk about before we get started with today's episode. If you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I have some exciting things coming out in the next weeks, months, unclear how long it's gonna take me to get it together, but there'll be some stuff coming out and I don't want you to miss it. So head on over to DrAmyRobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. And I also wanted to tell everybody about an amazing opportunity with IANS. IANS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and their 2020 conference is online. This year's theme is Unlocking the Healing Wisdom of NDEs, and the program is packed to the brim with fantastic speakers, and experts to guide newcomers and seasoned experiences alike through the mysterious worlds of near-death experiences, spirits, and the afterlife. This conference, again, is online via Zoom, August 14th to 16th, and you can visit iands.org for more info. That is I-A-N-D-S.org. And many of the speakers who have been on this show in the past are also members of ians. It's an amazing organization, that really promotes the work so much of the work that i'm doing on this show in terms of bringing to light many people's spiritual experiences and spiritually transformative experiences so head on over and check that out and now to today's show
1: thank you amy it's a pleasure to be here
0: and what a great voice.
1: Well, I, well I, I have to thank my father for that. My sound just like he did. so <laughs> so,
0: so let's start with your, this sweet story uh, with, about you and your dog called "Walks with Sam." Yes. How did this story come to be?
1: Well, uh, that's the newest book of mine. It just came out a few days ago, and uh, it, it was not expected to be a book. I had uh, We had received Sam as a sort of gift in a way, and we decided uh, I had planned a sabbatical for my teaching job for a while, and uh, I was going to work on a book at the time and do some other things and work on an audio project, and so I had plenty to do, but I also wanted to get into a groove of, of walking a little bit more. And the dog was a perfect companion for that. And it also came at a time that, um, you know, I was turning a, a milestone age. I had lost my sister to a tragedy. I had sort of begun uh, the thinking process of what I was going to do next in the world. And uh, it was a good time to be contemplative, if you will. So um, I just set out to try to do that and to give the dog some exercise but what it became was uh, I started keeping notes and then I became a blog because I wanted to keep myself honest to the notes. Some people started to read the blog and I had someone mention to me down the line somewhere that this sounded like a, it could be a book. And I had never expected that. Um, so I started to shape it and uh, thought maybe maybe they were right. And here we are now. We've got walks with Sam. So that's how it happens.
0: So what was so special about Sam how, how do you feel like that relationship led you to be more mindful?
1: I've always had a dog in my life. Uh, there were a few years here and there when I was in college undergrad things like that I didn't have a dog. So a dog's pretty much been a part of my life since I was one year old my my grandfather gave me a collie when I was a year old. I've always had a dog and I've always had a sense that I've felt really strongly about them and they that I've had good relationships with dogs. But when Sam came into our world, uh, my wife and I, there was something particularly sweet about her, and uh, I've had that before with dogs, but this was uh, profound in a way, and maybe it was because of where I was in my life. I'm not sure. When Sam and I started the walk, we had I had not thought of myself as being a mindful person. I have always wanted to be. I've tried. I've done some meditation, things like that, but I am certainly no expert, and I'm a seeker, if you will. Everybody uh, is trying to find that place, so... When I took the walks with Sam in the beginning, I did not expect them to turn out to be sort of mindful experiences, but it's really hard not to when you start paying attention to a dog. The dog does not have a past. It does not have a future. It does not think like a human. It's very much in the present, and that's kind of exactly what we're trying to do with mindfulness. So I started to turn my attention to her and less about where I was going, what I was doing, how much time I was taking. I had the luxury of a little free time, so it was a little bit easier, but I, I let her do the guiding. And when that started to happen is when I really started to fall into it. And I can't say that I became an expert. I can't say that I am now an expert, but I certainly gained uh, the knowledge of mindfulness and the understanding of it and the practice of it the more I walked with Sam. There's no question about it.
0: When you say you let her do the guiding, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, first of all, we, I really tried hard at the beginning. It was a little difficult, but later on, I I think I got into the groove of not setting up a destination or a time factor. So some walks would be 20 minutes. Some walks would be two hours, you know, whatever. So I tried really hard not to do that. And then as her as a guide was really about allowing her to, sort of take me where she wanted to go. If she had a smell in a certain spot, or if she heard something and she turned, I really tried to let her guide me. And that led me to be a lot more observational than I had expected to be. Started to see things in my neighborhood, in our forest preserves, and a lot of other places that I hadn't really, I thought I was paying attention to, but really wasn't paying attention to. And it opened up some sort of little caverns in my mind, I think, as as Sam led me on that way. Um, That was hard to do because we tend to be the master, right? And we want to take control and that's how we work. But I I tried really hard to let her be the monk, if you will, the shaman, if you will. Um, You know, There's a line in the book that uh, she was the perfect teacher to help me understand how to move in the world. And Mm. I think that that was really what I learned from her. And I think I could have learned from any dog, but at this particular time, at this particular moment, Sam was certainly, you know, my guide.
0: What are some of the things that you feel like she taught you? What were some of the lessons? I know you talk about this in the book, but what were some of the sort of most profound lessons you feel like you got? I mean, I love when you say she opened up sort of the caverns of your mind, right. um, you know, tapped into some of those hidden spots.
1: Well, we all live in a certain way in our society where we, you know, we have a checklist and we get things done and we go here and we do that and we think about what tomorrow's going to bring and how we're going to go through this part of the day. And dogs don't think like that. And for her to be in the present really allowed me to get there quicker than I thought I could do. So she would smell and see things and focus on something that I may not have focused before on the neighborhood. And then I started thinking about what that meant, you know, what those things meant, how how, the, how that fit into my world. Uh, we took a walk on the 4th of July morning and, and and because of the way that she was paying attention to things, it made me re really start to understand my complicated relationship with my country the good, the bad, the ugly, the 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 strong, the the idyllic, uh, the idyllic part of it, the ideals that sometimes go awry. It really started to made me think about that, and I'm not so sure that I would have gotten that deep on it if I had not allowed her to sort of like um, twist and turn on that July Fourth morning. So it was about be, her being. Her observations led me to my observations.
0: Mm-hmm. And you just sort of allowing her.
1: To right, go where she easy. needed to go. Yeah, which was not easy to do because we're not wired that way, humans. You know, we want to we want to take control and get our stuff done, right? Um, so it was, you know, that was that didn't come easily, but it came in time.
0: Well, yeah, and right? it's uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, it came in time, and I think in you know over a period, you know, I became better at it. I'm certainly not an expert, but I became better at it certainly.
0: Well, and it's such a metaphor. I think, for our minds, right? That as, as you sort of let her meander and wander, it allowed your mind to meander and wander. And when we right. do that, I mean, we can really get in touch with the deeper parts of ourselves. And I yeah. think that that's the purpose of a meditation. But sometimes I think we work to try to control the meditation. And it sounds like this was just a beautiful collaboration,
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know, because of your practice that, you know, you hear about walking meditation all the time. That's something that's been around a long time. And there's a lot of really great literary walkers out there, you know, um, you know, uh, Thoreau and uh, Dickens was a was a great walker and uh, they would allow really try, at least in the writings that I've read about these, they would really try to let their minds sort of wander. Uh, in those moments and figure things out that maybe they wouldn't have figured out if they hadn't taken that, that walk. And it was always, it always seemed to be a walk that did not have a particular destination. And that I thought was, that was hard to do, but I think that was really a key for me that I didn't have, I wasn't, didn't say I'm going to walk to the train station or I'm going to walk to the bank or I'm going to walk to the grocery store. I didn't, I didn't really think of it that way. I tried not to.
0: Well, and know. as you're talking, I'm just thinking, in my life, when was the last time I just wandered?
1: Yeah, it's wandering. Yeah, it's sauntering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that that's really not easy for us to do in our crazy, hectic worlds. That's just not. And, and many of us don't have the time. I had the luxury uh, of being on sabbatical and having a little more flexibility in my life at that time. So it was, it was, it, uh, it was helpful. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to do that
0: as readily mm-hmm. or as quickly, if mm-hmm.
1: so I have not had that time.
0: Well, and I wonder too, you know, if we need as much time as we think. Like if we go out for a walk and just walk without purpose, without mm-hmm. it needing to be like I have to get, you know, ten thousand steps in. Right? We've yeah, we've taken yeah. away so much of the joy of just being outside and. Wandering and finding ourselves in that. So
1: Yeah, I think sometimes and there's nothing wrong with this, but people equate a walk with an exercise, you know, like the ten thousand steps you just talked about. And these walks are not meant to be athletic. Um, these walks were meant to be sauntering, wandering, uh, taking your time, talking to people observing. Some of them were long walks, some of them were not, but you, you mentioned don't have to take a long time. Anyway, I would suggest to anybody just, you know, in the middle of your day, take a walk around your block for 15 minutes. It's amazing what that can do for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just pay attention.
1: Pay attention. Yeah.
0: Are there any other lessons that you felt like were really kind of profound in all of this?
1: Wow. Profound. Well, I think I confirmed, at least for myself and many people can believe what they want, But that there is this um, unspoken language between humans and dogs, especially. I've had cats before, but I don't know if that's necessarily the truth with cats. Maybe it's a different kind of language. (laughs) Um, But but with dogs, clearly to me, there's some sort of language. I truly believe they can sense your emotion. Now, do they understand all the complicated emotions of a human? You know, those varying levels. I mean, I don't think a dog understands envy. You know, that's a much complicated... Right, uh, uh, particular emotion. Right. But I think they understand happy, sad, um, joyful, uh, you know, anxious. Mm-hmm. I, think they, I think they can pick up those uh, very, very clearly. And I don't know if that's necessarily untrue for a lot of animals. You know, they say horses can do that.
0: Too. Yeah. Horses are so intuitive.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I think that those things were really confirmed for me and how maybe that language that we have between us can be helpful to us you know you know I've seen her get anxious when I'm anxious but I've also seen her get sort of uh, loving or caring when I'm anxious too like mm-hmm. she'll lean into me or she'll rub up against me or or you know she'll she has a habit of sort of placing her paws on your shoulder and sort of almost like humanly hugging you
0: mm-hmm.
1: so um, I've seen her do that you know, just out of nowhere, not provoked in any way. And I wonder where, you know, where that comes from.
0: Well, and when we talk about energetic exchanges, right. With our, with our animals, so much of it is just the energy. Like they're just sensing the energy we're giving off. And, you know, I think I, my husband is a huge, we have a dog, but my husband is a huge dog person Mm -hmm. and it's not just our dogs, like other dogs, must it, it's like they must sense that he loves animals because yeah. they'll come up to him and lean into him and it's just it's just so interesting to see how it's you and and I've said to him it's like they know that you know you're going to be the one that's going to scratch their belly or yeah. you know yeah. rub their ears and they're just they're so intuitive and I, and I wonder how it can help reflect or mirror for us maybe what we also need to be paying attention to in the way that Sam did for you.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I've had that happen to me too. Dogs tend to know that I'm going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> that's probably because I've had dogs all my life. But yeah, there's no question about that, that they sort of sense. It's funny the dogs can sense other dogs too. You know, why do they bark at one dog and not the other? Uh, why do they growl at one dog and not the other? I mean, I, there's got to be something going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, that we probably will never truly understand.
0: So when you, in the book, you narrate your relationship with Sam as if you're talking to each other.
1: Yeah, sometimes I did that, yeah.
0: (laughs) What do you, what do you feel like is your connection and how do you see these connections as deeper than the connections we allow ourselves to sometimes have with other humans?
1: Well, I don't think a dog judges people like a human judges people. We we have a tendency to make a judgment in our heads. We try, maybe try not to very hard, but we do. We make judgments. I don't know if dogs do that. I don't know if they do or not. My guess is they don't. They don't make that initial judgment that we do. They may sense something. They may sense, as we talked about before, some sort of emotion. But I don't think that they make a judgment call. Goodness, would that be great if humans could do that uh, a little bit better? You know, and there's a there's a particular walk in there where you know I uh, admit to some judgment and some people in my neighborhood, and that I think that if I had just taken on that time with that feeling without the dog, that I may not have gotten where I where I was able to get to, uh, and that's in that particular walk without the dog because the dog doesn't have the judgment. And if you watch the dog enough and observe, as I tried to do very hard with Sam, they, they don't have that. And what a wonderful thing that we can take from them uh, to learn not to be that way. That's a, that's really difficult because I think we're hardwired.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, I I often see this, what do they say that dogs are sort of like the level of a two-year-old in terms of like their understanding of language and things like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: And I often, when I have watched my kids at that age, you know, they, they're, it's a similar experience is that they don't hold that, that feeling of like, oh, that kid took my toy. They must not be a nice kid or that kid, you know, punched me in the face or bit me or whatever it is. (laughs) We make those judgments. We may as adults and say, oh, that's not a nice kid, but our kids are, will say, oh, I want to, can I play with, you know, whomever mm-hmm. the next day? They don't, they don't hang on to that.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I've heard that about dogs, about being at that two or three-year-old level uh, where they can understand emotion, but not those really complicated ones and that they don't make the sort of judgments. I mean, how many times have you read or seen documentaries, all kinds of things about how children just don't have the same kind of prejudices that are built into an older person. They, they don't, they're not, it doesn't come naturally. That's something that we learn or experience over time that for, for a child, that's not, it's not hardwired in them. Mm-hmm. And I think, a you know, a dog is very much like that. Sure, they might learn over time that some particular person, you know, beat them, you know, when you see a rescue dog and they sort of understand. But if that person turned around and became loving, I'm not so sure the dog wouldn't be loving too, right back at them. So um, I may be wrong about that, but that's just my own thought, my own belief.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's such a beautiful thing to think about being able to have a relationship like that, right? Like that's that's the relationship with our pets if if done right. Is that right. they don't judge us, that they do yeah. love us unconditionally, which.
1: Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be nice if we could have that with everybody and everything?
0: <laughs> yep. And in so many ways, that's all we want, right? Like our pets yeah. and just mirror for us, I think what we all want, which is to be loved, to be touched, to be petted, to be you know yeah. connected in that way.
1: Right. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, and even when, you know, Sam would, even now when she, you know, nuzzles up against me or what she does, I mean, it's, it's a great feeling. I feel like I'm, you know, like I'm getting that unconditional love from her.
0: Mm-hmm. How did your walks with Sam mirror your own spiritual journey?
1: Wow, that's a really good question because my spiritual journey is still pretty complicated. Uh, but I guess in terms of somebody who studies spirituality, I'm probably a lot like a lot of people. You know, some background, I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic family, going to church every Sunday, Holy Communion, all those kinds of things. But there was a break in the relationship with the church, with my parents at some point, I won't get into the details, but there was a, a moment in time when I was younger, that they just decided they were not going to go anymore and that they were disillusioned. And, you know, I was seven or eight years old at the time. So, um, you know, that's what I did because they did it, right? Um, and I think over time I've always struggled with where my head is on that. There are moments that I'll go into a church on a traditional mass, and there are moments of that mass that I'll that I'll feel really comfortable, and other times not very comfortable at all. So that sort of uh, traditional religious ceremony kind of throws me off a little bit. I never feel completely comfortable. Uh, although I did go to a Unitarian church for a period of time, and they do a they talk a lot about transcendental meditation and. And transcendentalists and Henry David Thoreau and, uh, and and I started to click with that, but I, I couldn't keep it up. So um, that's where I am spiritually. I'm still kind of seeking it and finding it and figuring it out. I don't really believe that any of us really know. So to me, the seeking part is okay. I feel like that's all right. I don't need to go find out. Uh, it can be gray for me and not black and white. I'm I'm fine with that. And in terms of with Sam, you know, I, does a dog have a spiritual life? I don't think so. But I think that the way that they were able, they're able to um, sort of process their world and not have black and whites maybe for them, maybe that helped me just say that it's okay to be that sort of continuing seeker rather than someone who has found something i'm I'm kind of thinking through that right now. I mean, I don't really know the answer to that question, so i'm I'm actually I'm actually trying to think through that. I think that's maybe what it was mm-hmm. you know, how how the two connected.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you still walk, take these walks with Sam?
1: Uh, yeah, we don't do them on a I mean, now it has a lot to do with just getting her out in the morning. Um, so they've taken on a different sort of vibe uh, because you know i I, I, I have commitments. Um, but we do try to take uh, now and then some walks that do not have a particular commitment mm-hmm. um, and do not have a particular destination. I, I did that one yesterday where I, I first thought that I would just walk to a park that's about a mile from here and back. And we ended up kind of walking on different paths. So and I had not planned that. So, you know, that's not terribly profound, but it does make me it, the, the, the earlier walks that became the book have certainly made me rethink the walks that I take now. There's no question about that, why I do it and when I do it and how I do it. Yeah, they have actually um, those earlier walks have informed my walks now to a great deal.
0: Well, and even as you're talking, I mean, the book really highlighted this as well. But even as you're talking, I hope that my listeners are hearing so many of the metaphors Mm. you know, that you're that you're discussing that are so applicable to life, right? Like the path wasn't the one I was thought I thought I was gonna go down. Yes. <laughs> um the journey was, you know, different than I thought it was going to be. But but even in your talking, there isn't a judgment about that, right? It's not like, oh, I took this worse path. It's like it was just a different path that we went down than the one that I had expected to go down. And I think that you know these walks in so many ways when i was reading the book really did feel like just just that just like a metaphor for for our lives and mm-hmm. how the dog how sam allowed you to look through life maybe with a different set of eyes
1: oh that's definitely true different lens um, mm-hmm. no question about that you know i didn't set out for it to be that way it sort of became that way the one thing i one thing I really want to make clear about this book is that I did not write this thinking, oh, I want to write a book about a dog and a guy who, you know, find something out about each other. I, I The book is what it is. It what, The walks were what they were. And then I just documented those walks, very much like a journalist would do. I, I'm going to take these walks and I'm going to let them be what they are. And if they say something bigger, that's great. So I didn't, say, oh, I'm going to make it this theme, or I didn't, uh, you know, feel as if I was trying to manipulate it in some way to make it this kind of book. I really tried hard not to do that. I hope I did that because I didn't want it to feel that way. Look, there's a lot of really good books out there, classics and good books written and books that maybe people don't even know about, about Relationships between people and dogs, and how dogs have helped people through tragedies and difficult times, and how uh, dogs have helped people heal. Or uh, there's, a, there's there's books out, uh, tons of them out there. This book is not necessarily about healing me. It was about making me open up hmm. a little more, and I think that's a little different.
0: Mm -hmm. But I didn't
1: manipulate it to be that way. It just happened to be that. Mm -hmm. I took the walks. I journalistically wrote about them with my own thoughts uh, and opinions and let them be what they are.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's there. It's a beautiful story. If people want to learn more, hear more from you, where can they find you? Teaching, apparently.
1: Yeah, I (laughs) teach at Columbia College, Chicago, um, and uh, associate professor there, been there for Almost 20 years now, but I, uh, I'm easily found. I mean, I can you Google my name, and it's B E R N E R, by the way. There's a, another David Burner out there, too, but I'm the one with the W in the middle. I'm easily found. The book is easily found on Amazon, IndieBound, your favorite bookstore. I could order it if they don't have it. Easily found right now, not a problem. Anywhere that you buy books online, I'm sure that you can find it. And my website's real easy davidwburner.com. Um, we're doing uh, uh, a lot of things there, and uh, you know, all my books are there too. So I'm easily found, and I hope people will read the story.
0: Thank you so much for your time today, David.
1: Thanks, Amy. It was great.
0: Thanks. Like what you heard today, and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts, and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.